Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Um, hey, we are in the second week of a series we've titled The Cross. And really our hope and our heart behind this as we journey towards Easter. Anybody excited about Easter? Come on. Um, as you can see, this is why we're having two services in here, because it's, it's crowded in here. So we're going to do two services, allow our volunteers, who are our team members who are faithfully serving, to be able to sit in a service so, so they don't miss. Come on, any volunteers excited about that? You don't have to miss, like sometimes we do. Um, so we're, we're journeying to Easter, and uh, you know, last week we looked at what Peter was saying of just really who Jesus was and what the cross was about, because there's importance in the cross, right? There's value in the cross. And uh, if we look to Jesus who died on the cross, he was one setting the greatest example. He was, um, he was doing all the saving and he was constantly restoring. So last week it was this idea of look no further for who you need to look to for your protection, for your saving. And so what I wanna do is I wanna backtrack a bit and go to Mark chapter 15 if you have your Bibles. Because uh, this, is, this is kind of setting the scene for what's gonna take place on not only our, on our Good Friday service, what we're gonna talk about there, but for, for the resurrection service on, on Easter. So this is Mark chapter 15, to give you a little bit of context. This is backtracking. So last week was post-cross, this is pre-cross. Jesus is with his disciples having the, the Passover and then they find themselves in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then there's the one disciple that betrays Jesus and he's arrested and gets taken to uh, the Sanhedrin, which is the council. And they're, they're trying to find fault in Jesus. They're trying to figure out what did this man do? What kind of accusations, what kind of crimes did this man commit that we can accuse him of? But the problem is they don't find any. They're trying to, but they can't. And so this is where we find ourselves in Mark chapter 15, verse one. This is, uh, this is that Friday morning, the day of suffering, the day of death. Do me a favor, would you, would you stand one more time as we read this? This is verse one, okay? I'm gonna read a little bit. It said, Verily early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin. There's about, we know there's about 70 of them, but there probably could be a, over 100 people in this room right here. They reached a decision. Somebody say decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor. They just couldn't find any fault in him. And so they were like, you know what, Pilate? You take care of this, and you, you accuse this man. And so Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is, as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But I love the silence of Jesus. He makes no reply. Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom of the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested, a man called Barabbas. Somebody say Barabbas. Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. And the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do it for them what they, he usually does at this time. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy. Somebody say envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd again to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with this man called Jesus? Crucify him. But why? He's committed no crime. 
But they shouted even louder. They said, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. He could be seated for, again. It, this is interesting because, you know, we, we read this passage. We sense, you know, we know what happens, okay? Right? How, how many believers? We know the end of the story, right? We, we know that God is in control, that God is sovereign. But there was something here that took place, two things here that took place that sent Jesus to his death sentence. There was two decisions made. Somebody say two. Two decisions made in this passage, Mark 15, 1 to 15, that we just read. There's two decisions that were made that, that would send Jesus to the cross, two decisions that would change. Decision number one was made by a group of people. Decision number two was made by an individual. Decision number one is what led the man to the next guy who made decision number two. Two decisions that would change the course of history. So if you're taking notes, I've titled this message this morning, Two Decisions That Had to Happen. And what I wanna do is, you know, I think we ourselves make a lot of decisions at times that are stemming from sin, very much like these two decisions that were made, that have motives, that is still slapping God in the face. And what I want us to do is look at these two decisions and decisions that we make on a constant basis at times and how they are detrimentally affecting our soul just like they did for the story that God was writing about his son in Mark chapter 15. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your, your, your message. We thank you for the story, God, that's being that has already been outlined, but is still, still being outlined. It's still taking place. Your work of redemption is still taking place. And so we thank you for that. We ask God that you would reveal your true nature to us. Would you pour out a fresh outpouring of your spirit to those who are broken today, to those who are hurting? Would you teach us something? Would you remind us of something? In Jesus' name, everybody said it. One loud voice, amen. Do me a favor and turn to the person next to you and say, welcome to the greatest row in the sanctuary. You've said in the best row. I just want to commend all the front rowers up here, right? The people in the front row, second row. You're like in the splash zone. But I, I always say, <laughs> I know for the people in the back, you showed up late, but you really wanted to sit up in the front row. I always tell people, I love the front because I want to receive it first, right? I want to get it. I want to get it first. So, uh, so props to you who are sitting up close. Um, I want to, I want to uh, two, de two decisions that had to happen. How many believe and know that there is power in our decisions. There is power in our decision making. When we decide to do something, when we decide to say something, when we decide to become something, it might just alter our life. Now we understand at times it could happen and the decisions we make can be inconsequential, but, but they also could be life altering. But how many of you know that the decisions that you make could also change somebody else's life? It could also alter the course of somebody else's destiny. You know, if you choose to drink and drive, you might just be putting somebody in a casket and it might not be your body. You decide to dabble in somebody else's marriage, you won't only ruin your testimony, but you could ruin a family. You decide to cut corners in your business at your job because it'll save you a lot of money. You might just lose some clients and you'll lose some employees who are gonna be without some jobs. I'm just trying to get you to understand that the decisions that you make have an impact not only on you, 
but on somebody else. And the truth is we don't just randomly, you know, make decisions. Sure, at times we do. But for the most part, we make decisions almost always because there's a, there's a motive. Somebody say motive. There's something in us that wants to do this. Our decision-making is often run by what's, what's in here, our heart. We're led by our soul. You know, we, we've said this a lot. Um, God isn't wanting us to be emotion-driven but spirit-led. And a lot of our decision-making is based off our emotions. And when you start making decisions based off emotions, you're probably not making the best decisions. Can I get an amen? Anybody been there before? I made some decisions based on my emotions that I regret, and I wish I was more spirit-led than emotion-driven. We decide based on what's going on in here. I don't know why it's always late at night that I find myself super hungry. I'm talking like 11, 11 p.m. <laughs> you know, and I realize that as I've now entered my 30s that it's probably not a good time to, um, one, eat at 11 p.m., but two, just stay awake at 11 p.m. because it's tough getting up in the morning. Um, but that's just, I find myself, and I'm like, you know what? Inside, I'm starving. And uh, to crave my instant desire to eat um, I, I don't really want to make something or cook something. That just takes too long. And I don't have a lot of leftovers because I got two boys at home and they seem to eat all our food. So uh, you know what's really pleasing to me? The fact that I live just a few minutes from some great food, some fast food. And so I'm making a decision that I know I, I probably will suffer in the morning or the next day based upon this desire to gratify my desire for, for fried food. I mean, so, so I make decisions based on what's going on here. This is how I felt, so this is what I did. This is the conclusion I came to, so this is what I did. Somebody say decisions. Now, in Mark chapter 15, what we find here is two decisions being made, not just at random, but derived and stemmed from sinful motives. Two decisions that would send our Lord and Savior to the cross. I want to talk about those two. Decision number one. Let's go. Verse number one, Mark chapter 15. It says, very early in the morning, the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin, they reached a decision. They reached a decision. And what did they do? They bound Jesus, and they led him away to Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor. Remember, they, they couldn't find any fault in him. And so the decision that they reached they reached, and then they decided to just send them elsewhere. And so now you have Pilate who's here, and Pilate's like, well, what, what do I do with this man? Because if you can't find any fault in him, and I can't find any fault in him, then, then what, do you want, what do you want me to do? But I want you to notice what Pilate says in verse 9, because he, he, throws, he throws out the motive to all the people. He says this in verse 9, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Remember, it was a custom at that time to release a prisoner. So he's like, do you want me to release this man by the name of Jesus? Verse 10, knowing that it was out of envy. Somebody say envy. That it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. Pilate wasn't, wasn't fooled. There was a motive that the chief priest had that persuaded them in their decision-making, and that was envy. Decision number one which bound Jesus and sent him to Pilate, was made by a group of people and was done out of envy. Can we talk about the sin of envy for a moment? Now, I know we hear words like jealousy and uh, covetousness. Those are similar words, but envy's a little bit different. In fact, 
According to the Greek scholar W.E. Vine, envy is the feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage of prosperity of others. Come on, it's that feeling inside of us. I'll read it again. It's the feeling of displeasure produced by what we saw or what we heard of the advantage or the prosperity of others. Let's be honest. We have a hard time watching other people succeed. Right? We'd have a hard, there's something inside of us that, that we wish that it, that was us. And so we don't really like when other people are succeeding, when other businesses are growing, when other families are, we start to question saying, God, why, why can't my family grow? Why can't my business be as, as successful? Perhaps the decisions that we have made and the accusations that we have said out loud or in our heart have stemmed from an envious spirit. And I just want us to think for just a moment. This isn't for like, you know, the person sitting next to you. You know, hey, listen up, Jacob's speaking to you. This, this is for you. Come on, just say this out loud. I, I receive this for me. All right? I receive this for me. Maybe this isn't your biggest struggle and your decision isn't based off of envy, but it's more so of love and of grace. But maybe at times, like me, we find ourselves making decisions, making accusations based out of envy. Can I talk just for a moment about the deity of Jesus. How many believe that Jesus is equal to God? You know, we here at VLC, we believe in one God who exists in the unity of three equally divine persons. This is what we would call the, the Trinity. You have, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God is all of them, and all of them are God, but all of them are not each other. So he, here we find the Trinity being at work pretty much all throughout scripture. They work in perfect harmony, yet consisting of one substance. And all throughout the scriptures, we find that there's enough evidence for us to believe in this. That Jesus Christ, in other words, is God. There's no doubt you can't, you can't argue with this because Jesus did things that only God could do. The things that he, forgiveness of sins, Raising somebody from the dead. These were only, you see, to understand decision number one, we have to understand this. In the Old Testament, to claim deity, to claim that you were God, was blasphemous. This was a crime to the Jewish leaders. This was a, a, a crime for the believers. You, you could not do this. And so here we have this man who now, you know, the Son of God was never really mentioned in pertaining to an individual until Jesus shows up. So Jesus shows up. And he's doing things that nobody else has seen. And this very question is soon to be asked. So what I want to do is go back to chapter 14 in Mark. Because the decision number one that's made um, is really stemmed out of this conversation that takes place in Mark chapter 14. So go back a chapter, Mark chapter 14. I'm going to hit a couple verses. This is verse 53. It says, They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law, they came together. It says the chief priest, this is verse 55, and the whole Sanhedrin, they were looking. Somebody say looking. They were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. They, they were searching. They were asking. They were looking. But did they find anything? Come on, did they, did they find anything? It says they did not find any evidence. Verse 56, many testified falsely. Somebody say falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I'll destroy the temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another. Not made with hands, yet even then their testimony did not 
did not agree. What's happening here? Nobody can seem to find any fault in Jesus. And nobody can agree either. It's just like there's, there's a bunch of uncertainty taking place. There's a bunch of confusion taking place. There's a bunch of poorly executed accusations, which, by the way, the religious leaders were the ones who were encouraging it. Hey, hey, could you just get up there and just say something? Come on, I know you got something against Jesus. I know you can make, just make up something. He, he's there. We got him. Come on, just, make, just say something. That doesn't sound right. You say something. That doesn't sound right either. They just couldn't agree. Do we not see that today? Do we not see people being put on a pedestal to be judged for things they didn't even do? But the enemy will convince you that you did. And the enemy will convince other people that you did. And this is what's taking place. I'm sure we can find something in in here. We can find something about the life of Jesus that we can hold against him. Make something up. But can I set some of you free today? Oh, whoa, whoa, you can't set me free today. I'm already free. No, I want to free you of this thinking that now that you have become a believer, you will stop asking the question, God, why me? I've done all these right things. Why me, God? Why my family? Why my career? Why are these things happening to me? Can I set some of you free and say this? The world is not going to know what to do with the person who has fully surrendered their life, their calling, their purpose to the things of God. The world's not going to know what to do with you. Amen. They're not going to know what to do with you. They're going to try to falsely accuse you. They're going to try to imprison you. They're going to try to put you in places. They're not going to know. If you're having success, they'll accuse you. If you're believing in the middle of hardship, they'll convince you and persuade you to no longer believe in God. They'll do everything they can to imprison you. Listen, yesterday, uh, Steve, you were talking about Joseph. And you know know what's crazy about the Bible is you'll read the same stories, and all of a sudden you'll, you'll have new revelation of the stories. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like when you go to Chick-fil-A and you, you bite into that sandwich, you're like, I never, I've never tasted the goodness of God like this before, but you've been eating it every single week. So, so all of a sudden I'm reading things and I'm hearing Steve talk about, about Joseph yesterday. You know, Joseph was one of the very few righteous men who did a really good job of abstaining from sexual immorality. Now, I know some of us could be up here today and say, oh, I'm the best at it. And I'd probably say you're a liar because it's a struggle. Maybe we do better than other people, but Joseph seemed to be the best because here Joseph is. He's got his boss's wife who is trying to seduce him. You know, Proverbs talks about the women of folly, that their lips are like honey. I mean, here Joseph is. He's got his boss's wife trying to seduce him. And what does he do? And he's thinking about what, what could happen. He's probably thinking about how he could ruin a relationship with a family, how he could ruin his testimony, but also how he could ruin his relationship with God. And so what does Joseph do? He runs. He flees. Somebody say flee. I think some of us have not been running. We've been slowly walking away from temptation, thinking that maybe, just maybe, we can justify our actions and step into it, and God is going to be okay with that. God is saying, it's time to run. It's time to run away from it. And Joseph runs. I mean, could you just imagine what heaven looks like? The angels are like, "Woo, Joseph, look at this man. And God is like, I'm very well pleased. That's probably how God spoke. But that, they're just thinking, like, could you imagine what the angels are saying, what God is re- rejoicing over this man, Joseph? In fact, it says that his clothes were pulled off him, and he ran butt naked out of the house. Come on, Joseph, a man of God. You know what happens to Joseph? He gets thrown into prison. I wonder where you would be and how you would respond if that was you. You just abstain 
from one of the greatest attacks of the enemy. You are so proud that you are so strong. And then you get thrown into prison. Thanks, God. Thanks a lot. I'm just, I'm wanting you to understand that it doesn't matter how great you are. It doesn't matter how much you know about this. If you are of God, the enemy is after you. The world doesn't want you. The world isn't going to know what to do with you. They're going to start babbling about some things. They're going to start making some things up. They're going to start trying to seek and destroy you. This is what Peter says to the scattered believers. He's like, I need you to stay, stay alert. I need you to be sober-minded. This is 1 Peter 5.8. He says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking. Somebody say seeking. Come on, seeking. The enemy is looking. The people are accusing. They're after you. They want to destroy you. They want to destroy your life, your family's life, your job. It does not want you to succeed. But thank God. Come on, thank God that he had a better plan for Joseph in the prison. He's got a better plan for you in the cave. God has a better plan because God is better and God is stronger and no enemy formed against me shall prosper because I have God in me. So, so this is, this is, this is what's happening. This is what's taking place. The world doesn't want you to succeed, but can I give you good news? I'll hear some good news, church. God is bringing confusion to your accusers. God is bringing confusion to, oh, God is not a God of confusion. Oh, no, he is. Just, just watch, just watch. This is what David says in, in, uh, in, in Psalm 35. He says, may all who gloat over my distress be put to shame and confusion. Come on, I'm praying that God is bringing confusion to my accusers. I'm praying that God is bringing confusion to your accusers. He says, may all who exalt themselves over me be clothed with shame and disgrace. Listen, something is happening here in the supernatural. Something is happening in your life. You know, we represented that shirt yesterday where our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities of this world. So how many of you know that we are fighting a spiritual battle? That we are fighting, you know, we could always say that this is probably more spiritual than we think. We are fighting a battle that is spiritual. And so there's something happening in the supernatural that we don't see. But God is bringing confusion. God is bringing distraction. God is bringing your enemies, the things that they think they know that they really don't know, and they will falsely begin to accuse you. You know what this reminds me of in Mark 14? Way back in Genesis chapter 11. You remember the big tower that was built? The tower of what? Of Babel. I love this passage because, you know, God is in heaven, okay? God is obviously everywhere. But it says it says that God came down to earth to see what was going on. You know, you got a bunch of, this is, this is a post-flood. So you've got Noah and his sons, and they all have, they have all these kids, and there's, there's a bunch of people. They all speak the same language. And they think, you know what? It'd be great to build a really big and tall tower. Now, is there anything wrong with building towers? No. Is there anything wrong with having big homes and wanting big homes? No. But the motive, the intention behind why they were trying to build this tower was because they wanted to be noticed. They wanted to be known. They wanted their name to be spread across all the earth. And so it says that God came down and he noticed this, which I love that because, you know, we think God is like this big eye that just kind of scans the earth. God cares about your personal things in your life. God cares personally about what you're doing and the family and the job and the career that you are building. God cares. He's coming down to see. But this is, this is not a good thing. So he, God comes down and he realizes that all these people who speak the same language could probably do anything. And so what does God do? He brings confusion to the language. 
He brings confusion to the language. They have no idea now, all these people who were building this tower, what they were saying to each other. And so what did they do? They stopped. How many thankful again that God is bringing confusion to your accusers? They stopped. I mean, could you try, just try to imagine what it's like trying to talk to somebody. And you know that because we live in South Florida, there's many different languages. And I know one and that's it. And so I have a hard time trying to understand some people. But could you, but I can relate because I have a kid, a couple kids who still don't really speak well. And last night, my, my almost two-year-old is sitting there eating dinner. And I don't know what it is, but the dude loves corn. You know, I told you my, my other son loves popcorn. I think, isn't corn and popcorn like cousins? So I, I love corn as well. So I'm sitting there and, and all he wants is corn. He's got chicken. He's got mashed potatoes. Well, we were eating, we were eating good southern fried chicken. Come on, from Publix. Amen. And uh, <laughs> I was like, if that ain't Chick-fil-A, like, that's, that's just close. The chicken tenders in Publix, you know. But he loves corn. And so he won't eat his chicken because he sees the corn. And so I kid you not, I'm like, Sometimes I just want to like throw the corn away and just eat your chicken. And I'm like, let's, let's just try and persuade him. Let's just negotiate. I'm sitting here negotiating with my son. I've got a fork full of chicken. All right, you eat this and then you get the spoonful of, of corn, okay? And he's like, eh. I'm like, you got, the, you got the chicken you can eat and then I'm going to give you the corn. He's like, ah. I'm like, dude, work with me. Come on. I'm trying to negotiate this. You can get what you want. You just got to have what I need you to have. I feel like this is God having a conversation with us. You know, have this and then you can have the corn. I'm negotiating with a baby, a toddler. I'm babbling to him. No wonder, no wonder why the tower was called Tower of Babel. Because it was just babbling. That's all that was happening. This is what's taking place in Mark chapter 14. It's people trying to feed you something that you don't even know what it is. They're trying to accuse you of something that you don't even know what you did. This is what's taking place. They're trying to make up something, but they cannot agree. They're making unintelligible intelligible accusations. And so what do they do? Just like I did with my son, I just, I gave up. I'm like, my gosh. And my wife's just like, we just dumped all the corn on his plate and we just let him eat his thing. I'm like, because originally, I will confess, originally I just took him out of his seat and I said, get to bed. You ain't eating tonight. And my, my, the compassion of my heart and the convincing of my wife put him back on the table and we dumped all the corn out so we ate. But I stopped. The people of the Tower of Babel, they just stopped building it. The chief priest, they just stopped arguing. They could not come to a conclusion. Now, they didn't stop trying to kill Jesus, but they brought him to some other man by the name of Pilate. Decision number one was based out of envy, but there was also confusion and this inability to control. And, and often that which you can't control, you become envious of. So let's look at where this envy is coming again. Envy, again, it's this feeling of discontent or resentfulness due to somebody else's success possessions, qualities. Jesus, this is, this is weeks earlier. He had performed some of the greatest miracles. He rose somebody from the dead. A miracle that could only be performed by God. And this is why uh, in John chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation with a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus, a Pharisee that seemed to be getting it right. And it's so interesting. And, and if I could just plug in, go on YouTube some of you are maybe against YouTube. I could just go on YouTube or whatever and type in Nicodemus and Jesus, the chosen. And, and watch the scene in the chosen with this. Every time I watch it, it brings me to tears. Because this is the scene, this is the conversation where we get that famous passage, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever perished and never have eternal life. That's where we get that passage. 
That's what it sounds like. So the, yeah, babbling. So the conversation starts with, with, with this question by Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 2. He said, Rabbi, by the way, he's meeting at night because he doesn't want other people to, be, to see that he's associating himself with this Messiah. So he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus believes that Jesus has come from God, but doesn't know yet that he is actually talking to God. So he doesn't know that yet. He's like, we know that you've come from God, and we know that you are with God because you've performed these things, and how could you not? But they would soon find out. Oh, they would find out, and they would have a fit. And so Mark 14 they're, they're hurling these accusations until finally somebody says, just tell us, are you the Christ? Just tell us, please, just tell us, are you the Christ? Admit it. And Jesus says, I am. And that was all they needed to hear. Their decision was based off of that statement that I am God. And because of that, they accused him of blasphemy. They, 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 they condemned him worthy of death. They couldn't, they couldn't sentence him to death because they couldn't find a capital crime. They, they just assume that, well, you know what, he's, he's claiming to be a king. He's starting a rebellion, similar to what Barabbas was doing. He was part of an insurrectionist. He was a rebellion. This man is the leader of it right here, Jesus. And so they bring him to Pilate, and they say, Pilate, we got him. We got him, sentence him to death. The, the, the decision made from envy. But Pilate knew they weren't seeking a fair trial. They wanted vengeance. You know what envy does? Two things, and I'm going to get to the second decision, okay? If you're taking the notes, write these two things down. Two things that envy does when, when you're making decisions. Number one, it distorts what's right. And it, number two, destroys what's right. That's what envy does. When you make decisions based out of envy, your decision making due to envy will distort what is right. We find that in verses 6 to 11. And it'll, it'll destroy what's right. And we find that in verses 12 to 13. Look at verse, for time's sake, I'm just going to read verse 11. Because, the, you know, they're wanting Barabbas. Just, just send us Barabbas, the murderer. And, uh, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. You see, envy will bring uncertainty to something that you should be certain of. Envy will begin to cloud your judgment and your decision making. Envy will tell you what is right really is wrong. And what is wrong really is right. So... Release a prisoner. Which one? Barabbas and Jesus. I thought about bringing up two people to just embody those two people. but Nobody wanted to be Barabbas, and I don't think anybody could, you know, fill the shoes of Jesus. So I didn't for your sake, okay? Give us Barabbas, or do you want Jesus? Jesus the giver, or Barabbas the taker? Jesus who brings life, and Barabbas who takes life. Which one do you want? This is such an easy decision to make. I mean, come on. You got Barabbas, who's a murderer, who, sh who should be getting the death sentence. And you have Jesus, who hasn't done anything. But again, envy distorts what is right. And so now you begin to think, which one do I want? I've got the, the peacemaker or I've got the peacebreaker. Oh, but I think the peacemaker really is breaking the peace. And I think the peacebreaker is really going to bring us peace. So give us, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. You see, now your decision-making due to envy has distorted your view of what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. But it also destroys it. 
Look at verse 12, Mark 15. He says, what shall I do then with the one that you call Jesus, with the one that you call King of the Jews? Crucify him. Crucify him. You see, now that your view and your thinking of what is right has been distorted, long enough it'll convince you to not just set that aside, but to crucify it, but to destroy it. Crucify it. Remember, my decision, decision number one, based out of envy, is sending Jesus to Pilate when we should have sent Barabbas to be crucified and just release Jesus. Why, 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 would, why would he need to be crucified? Could, just think with me for a moment. Was this, was this common for people just to um, look at people they didn't like and just say, crucify him? Were they saying this to like their mother-in-law, you know? Crucify her! Not, I love my mother-in-law, and I would never say that. I'm just thinking maybe at this time. What about to their employees when they got let go? Crucify him. Was this something that they just shouted? Crucify him? You want to crucify the man who fully embodied and manifested the fruits of the Spirit? What are you thinking? Again, it distorts your view. Why would you want to crucify the, What has he done? Pilate can't seem to find any fault in Jesus. But what do they shout? They shout crucify him. So Pilate has to make a decision. Which, by the way, in the book of Luke, and I believe John, um, there's more recorded of what takes place in this, this whole interaction with Pilate and Jesus and the chief priests and the crowd. Because Pilate ends up sending him off to Herod. Who is Herod? Herod was the ruler of Galilee. And he tells Herod, he says, you deal with this man because he's a part of your jurisdiction. And Herod can't find any fault in him either. So Herod sends him right back to Pilate. And Pilate's like, man, I got this Jesus guy again. You know? And so he asks the crowd again. He says, um, what do you want me to do with him? And in Luke 23, verse 16, he says, you know what? Therefore, I will punish him, and then I'll just release him. Punish him, the crowd responded. Why don't you just crucify him? And here's where we get to decision number two. Decision number one was a group of individuals who uh, made a decision based out of envy. Decision number two is made by an individual who has now based his decision off of compromising. Somebody say compromise. You, you ever compromised on something? You ever compromised your faith? You ever compromised uh, an area in your life because... Uh, you believed it would better suit your needs or, or your wants, and you've compromised? Here we have Pilate, who's making a decision. Number two, look at verse 15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd. Somebody say satisfy. Wanting to satisfy my needs. Wanting to satisfy my late-at-night desire and hunger to eat fast food. Wanting to satisfy. As soon as you say, I want to satisfy that's when you begin to compromise. So Pilate says, wanting to, or it says, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate gives him Barabbas, and he has Jesus flogged, and he hands him over to be crucified. Look at what Luke chapter 23 records of this. Again, Luke is just a different perspective of this. It says in verse 23, but with loud shouts, they insistently demanded. Again, all the chief priests, all envy is doing is convincing you to believe what is right is wrong. It's distorting you. And enough distortion will lead to destruction. And so with loud shouts, they instantly demand that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. And so Pilate decided, somebody say decided, he decided to grant their demand. Decision number two, which sent Jesus to the cross, was made by an individual 
was done out of compromising. He compromised what he knew to be true just to please and satisfy the crowd. You know, I was struggling to try to find the, the, the correct wording or verbiage or language for um, uh, this decision and, and, and the basis that it was off of. And I, and I thought maybe Pilate was, was struggling with the sin of wanting popularity. Maybe he was struggling with the sin of approval. Maybe he was struggling with the sin of people pleasing. And again, these things aren't necessarily sinful in itself, but when it becomes your motive, when it becomes the motive of why you make decisions and why you do what you do, if that desire is at the forefront of your decision-making, that's then when it makes it sinful. Would you agree with me? If my decision-making is only to please people, if it's only to win the approval of God, if it's only not to offend anybody, then we might not say some things on this stage. And so now I make my decisions based upon wanting to please the crowd, wanting to please an online audience, wanting to please other, other people. And so I don't do what I know I should do, what I know to be true. I know that this man is innocent, but he gives in because he's afraid and he's listening to the sin that it's more important to please people than it is to please God. Remember what Paul says in Galatians chapter one, verse 10, am I, am I not trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? How many are you thankful that we don't have to please people? Come on, we gotta be nice to them and love them, but we don't have to, we don't have to please them. He says, if I were trying to please people, then I would not be a servant of Christ. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, do you think I speak this strongly in order to manipulate crowds? or court favor with God, or get a popular applause. If my goal was popularity, I wouldn't bother being a slave of Christ. You know, um, I struggled with this growing up, people pleasing. Even, even early on in, in my ministry, my mom used to always say, Jacob, you're a lover, not a fighter. And that's because I was weak. You know, I was like, I just gonna stick to loving people. But I desired to really please people. I had this fear that if you didn't like me, that I would, I would like die, you know? If you, were, if you were mad at me, I would do everything and anything to restore that. that. That's a good quality, right? But it was the motive, it was at the forefront of all my decision-making. And, and it ate away at me. And I was compromised. As a slave of Christ, I was compromised because of my desire to please people. But it was in 2013. It was at a 24-hour prayer service, 24-hour prayer service, which, by the way, I didn't go all 24 hours, all right? I confess. I just showed up. And I was in a circle with some people. My, one of my, my pastors was there at the time. And uh, he was like, I sense that there's somebody in this room. And you know when pastors say that, you're like, you're just saying that. You got a good shot. There's like one, you got a one out of 150, you know, there's 150 people in here. You got a good shot <laughs> at somebody. But there was, he's like, there was one person in here. There's one person in this room right now. And there was like eight of us at the time. Because uh, I love him. Steve, great job yesterday. He was like, everybody shows up on Sundays, but nobody shows up to the prayer meetings, especially the 24-hour prayer meetings, okay? But there, so there was only eight of us. And he's like, somebody in here is struggling with this desire to please people. And I was like, <laughs> I was like paralyzed. I was trying to raise my hand, but I didn't want to, you know? Because I'm like, whatever, I'm a nice guy. I don't want to. And then all of a sudden, I was just like, God in me, just like the Spirit of God just set my hand up. And I was like, that's me, Pastor. That's me. 
And right then and there, through deliverance, I was freed from that sin and desire to please people. Because I'm not trying to win the approval of people. I'm trying to win the approval of God. Now certainly, I still have a desire at times to please, because I want to please people, but it's not at the forefront of my decision making. It's not at the forefront of why I do what I do. Pilate compromised, he gave in. He knew it was right, he knew Jesus didn't commit a crime. In fact, Luke 23 records that Pilate says three different times, why do you want me to crucify him? And they respond, crucify him. He gave in the decision fueled and driven by compromising to send Jesus to the cross was now made. Two decisions that had to happen to send Jesus to the cross. Decision number one, sent him to Pilate. That decision was made out of envy. Decision number two, sent Jesus to the cross. That decision was made because he compromised. And so I, I close with this. You know, there are, there are decisions that we make today. There are, there are things that we say, there are moments in our life where we find ourselves making decisions based out of, and based from sin. And those decisions, hear me out today, are still the reason Jesus went to the cross. What do you mean? He died like 2,000 years ago. My sin didn't do anything. You know, it was all the people in the Bible, their sin. Now Jesus died for your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin. And so the decisions that I make based out of envy and based out of this, this willingness to so easily compromise on my faith are what sends Jesus to the cross. Can I tell you what... Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, for our sake, somebody say my sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. My sake, somebody say my sake. You can turn to the person next to you and tell them your sake as well, your sin as well. It wasn't just me. But my sin was what Jesus took on as he was nailed to that tree. Can I share with you a verse that I read last week? Um, 1 Peter chapter 2. Throw that, up, throw that one up on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. No? All right, I've got it memorized in the Bible. <laughs> it says for... Uh, I'm just, gonna, I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm just gonna read it, you know, I'm gonna be honest, all right? First Peter chapter two, this is crazy. This is, you know what's you know so interesting how the, the spirit of God works? I'm sitting here uh, late last night and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is how we're gonna end this message. This is so crazy and I'm sitting here, I text Sherelle and I'm like, yo, Sherelle, 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 forget about the song that you were wanting to close with. I got a song that you need to sing. And it starts off by saying, thank you for the cross. And do you know what song we sang early in the service? That exact same song. I knew that that was the song we were singing, but I didn't know that's how it started because I wasn't too familiar with it. But I'm like, sure, you need to sing this song. It's called, it's called, uh, it's called uh, Worthy is the Lamb. That's on the set. <laughs> how crazy is that? I'm like, the Spirit of God is, is uh, very evident. Let me, let me find First Peter. First Peter chapter 2. It's in the, it's in the New Testament. It's, I know it's after Hebrews, before Revelation. It says, listen to this, just, just do me a favor. Could you stand to your feet? And uh, I want you to just close your eyes. Close your eyes with me and just, just read this. Listen to this. 
it says he himself bore our sins in his body on that tree come on can i say it again he himself bore our sins in his body on that tree it says he himself jesus bore my sins jacob's sins your sins in his body on a tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness i don't know about you church but i'm so thankful for the cross i'm so thankful for the cross i just wonder if us if we just have viewed this as a symbol as just something that was once then and there and no longer applies no it applies to you because it's what saved you it's what redeemed you it's what restored you come on if you're thankful for the cross this morning would you just lift up your hands Come on, would you just lift up your hands all across this room? If you're watching it online, would you just lift your hands and say, God, I'm thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ. Come on, just, just shout it if you got to. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, thank you for the cross. Thank you that it took my bad decision-making. It took their bad decision-making and it nailed you on a tree, which I thought was a bad thing. Now I read was a good thing so that I can be dead to my sin and I can live for righteousness. Holy, come on, just declare it out. Say thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.